Friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. It's so good to have you with me today. And as we head to the end of July, uh, Making Disciples will uh, go on a holiday. We're going to have August off. Uh, So the next couple of weeks um, are the last few before we take some time out before uh, September. So just to let you know, that's what what is happening. And, uh, you know, I'd love it if you wanted to catch up on episodes maybe uh, over August. Go back and listen to ones you particularly enjoyed. Now, today's episode is a conversation with Emma Worrell. Emma works for Open Doors and... uh, I've just asked her to come and share with us what's the state of the church right now globally. It's really interesting to hear uh, what's going on with the church globally. Uh, Where are we seeing things flying, doing amazingly well? And where are we seeing things struggling? And we need some prayer there. Uh, So I wanted to spend a bit of time with her to talk about the global church. You know, we're a part of a massive family. Uh, a group of people from uh, all walks of life, all over this beautiful planet, all who honour and love Jesus. And it's good to know how other parts of the body are doing, to be aware of the wider body. Uh, So I hope you find this really interesting. We're going to talk a little bit about China, a little bit about Iraq, a little bit about North Korea and Iran. So we're going to get really uh, around uh, the world as we just talk about the family and how things are doing. So I hope you find this really inspiring. Now, if you do, you've never heard of Open Doors, uh, I would really encourage you, give Open Doors a Google. There's a link in the show notes uh, for their website as well. I love Open Doors. Now, I have been to uh, places with Open Doors, visiting the church, and uh, I just can't more highly recommend what they're about and how they want to prayerfully care for the wider body of the church. So if you've never heard of Open Doors, look, Give them a Google. Go check out their website. Spend some time looking at what they're doing. And maybe, uh, yeah, maybe give a bit of prayer towards what their mission and ministry is about. And I might say you might want to give financially to support them as well because uh, their work is absolutely incredible. So here we go. An interview with Emma Worrell on Open Doors and the state of the global church. Emma, welcome to Making Disciples. Thank you so much for spending a bit of time with us. Oh, it's fantastic to be here, Chris. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant to have a chat. Um, let me just ask you this first. Just tell us what you do with Open Doors. Like, What is your role at Open Doors for those that uh, maybe haven't even heard of Open Doors? Give us a little brief mm. idea about the ministry at Open Doors. Sure thing. So, well, we we support the one in eight Christians globally who suffer for Jesus, suffer for following Christ, being disciples for, uh, you know, that that is the price that they pay, essentially. And uh, we're, we're all about our mission really is all about bringing them hope and resources, strengthening them spiritually, emotionally and physically, doing anything that we can to do that. And I, I guess really in a, in, a, in a very simple way in terms of what we're doing then in countries like the UK, where there is freedom to, to, to choose religion and belief and, and all of that, and the freedom to practice being a Christian is a, it's essentially that we want to say, look, we want to stand with those who share our faith but not our freedom. And I guess, I, you know, I've been part of the Open Doors team for many, many years now. And, you know, so it's a big, 
big privilege of mine to share the stories of Christians who so often sadly are out of sight and out of mind. Uh, so I'm involved in a lot of sort of communication pieces, speaking in churches, uh, connecting with, with networks, organisations, and, and really just getting the message out, I suppose, really sort of um, sounding the alarm on what is happening around the world to, to Christians and, and really saying this, this is an issue that, that, that really should, should uh, be, be something that we're bothered about, that we care about. Yeah, so, you know, we've got enough going on in our churches in the UK. Uh, we've had a pandemic. It's been uh, disastrous for many of us. Many of us have lost our volunteers and all of that. You know, we've got enough going on. Why should we care about the global church when we've got a lot going on ourselves? Like, why should we worry and be bothered by the global church? There's probably two strands to that, Chris. I think the first one is we need to care because we're family. I mean, that is a clear uh, principle, uh, message that is shared, you know, particularly in the New Testament. We're family, we're brothers and sisters. I think, I think it's the, the, the two most common metaphors or word pictures used to describe the church in the New Testament. Is, is a family and a body. I think 300 times, over 300 times, the word Adelphoi is used, isn't it, I think, in, in the New Testament. And that is the word brethren, siblings, brothers, sisters. And uh, that's what we are. And I think for me, traveling to meet the persecuted church firsthand, encountering them firsthand, they really get what it means to be family. And that's partly because for most of them, for many of them, their experiences that they've been disowned, rejected by family, by community. And, and they discover just the immense value of what it means to be part of the body of Christ, the, you know, the family of God. Um, just recently, I came across a story of a, an 18-year-old from India called Nikhil, and he was from a high-caste family, so very privileged status in India. But when he came to faith, his family were absolutely livid with him. His own brothers beat him up. Uh, left him really in a bad way he was taken in by the local church and and basically says this my own family disowned me but now you're my family so we get a we get a new definition of what family is meant to be I think as Christians don't we or that's what we meant to we're meant to live out we're meant to sort of live that and embody that being family and and the second thing Chris and I think this is something that's had a profound shape on my own walk with Jesus my own discipleship journey I suppose is is actually their, their stories really shape and mould our own story of faith. Like, like their stories encourage courage in us. Um, so it's, it's this mutual connection that we have as the body of Christ. They need us, but we really, really also need them. And I think that's a, that's a powerful thing and a bit of a game changer as well, I think. Mm. I think when I realised there was a global church, this body of Christ, it wasn't just they were worshiping in their churches and we just left them to it but that this was a body uh, and that god was at work in these these churches i suddenly realized that some of these places and these believers were more on fire for their faith than i was mm. and that they were living their life for christ in a way that made me feel ashamed uh that it was not quite where you know, you saw them living their lives and you, you read the gospels, you go, well, of course they were on fire for Jesus uh, in that particular way, living this radical life because they're Jesus right there. Uh, we haven't got Jesus with us in the same way. So maybe we, you know, we're just not quite the same as those disciples, but then you see the church in many regions of the world where they are living what they, we see and read in the gospels, they're living and breathing it and they're seeing it. And, and that then is like, Oh my gosh, 
<laughs> I, I need to take this into account. So yeah, the, the church is global. We should care for the global church. Um, where where is the global church up to? Where you know what's going on? What's the story of the global church right now? Um, you know, inspire us with what God is doing through His church. Yeah, I think I think Chris, when we think about the persecuted church, it's almost like there's the sorrow, but on the flip side, you've got the joy. You've got the darkness, but you've got light because actually, you know, Jesus is at work in the darkness and danger and difficulty, um, and we see that lived out. In the, in the lives of persecuted Christians time and time again. So, you know, the, the sobering stuff is that we were seeing an increase in persecution pretty much everywhere. You know, at Open Doors, we talk about like a global shrinkage in the freedom space to be a Christian. We've seen that intensify over recent years. We see, you know, particularly around sort of key uh, festival moments um, in, in the church calendar, persecution often often escalates, particularly the what we call the smash kind of persecution which is like the the violent attacks that might might take place so this year palm sunday in indonesia there was a terrible um suicide bombing that took place and and we see that and we, we kind of we kind of know that these things probably are going to happen so we we see persecution intensifying but equally like you're saying we see stories of just ordinary believers simply willing to give their lives for Christ. Um, you know, I was just thinking, you know, that verse in Philippians, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So often persecuted Christians quote that as their go-to scripture. Like, you know, they, they have this unshakable, resilient faith, uh, knowing that they're made for more, um, knowing that the best is yet to come. And, I, I you know, that, that just keeps them going, I think, in, in their walk with, with, with Jesus. But, yeah, I think, you know, all of that, I think of China, you know, a country where... Um, quite rapidly we've seen persecution increasing in the last few years as state control and surveillance increases uh, the government there really implementing um, a sort of a, a system of chinification if you like just trying to make the church Chinese and, and more Chinese and control it and you know exert um, power over it in that way and yet what we're seeing is that Christians in China particularly the house church Christians you know they're willing to pay any price to love their neighbour, to help the vulnerable. Um, and, and I love that. So there's stories of, um, you know, as, as during, during COVID last year, um, perhaps some of the elderly were being neglected in certain communities in China. There were, there were restrictions about, you know, where, where you could go and when you could be out and about. But actually it was Christians risking their, you know, their freedom, their, their own well-being to go and visit the sick and the elderly and provide care uh, and attention to them. And it's, really similar to what you're saying really about the early church and you know that movement of, of risk takers risking themselves their well-being to to love love their love their neighbor essentially so we're seeing that all over the place um but in in, in terms of the reality you know we, we we are seeing some really tough stories think of india right now uh, struck down by pandemic and increased persecution You've got sort of mobs um, promulgating, preaching uh, lies against Christians. And you've got sort of a, an, in, uh, an extremist Hindu ideology that is being sort of shared quite widely and really ramping up persecution. But in the midst of that, there are stories of Christians just seeking to just, just to stay strong. I, I was hearing a story of a lady called Kusum um, in, in India. Uh, her husband was was he died a few years ago then then later on her her son was 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 killed um and she was blamed by the family 
by, by her husband's family for, for what had happened, which is just, just incredible. And then um, her father-in-law one day went and armed with an axe, was going to try to, try to kill her. Uh, so the story of persecution being really intense for her. But the great story is she's just faithfully kept going, kept loving Jesus. And just, just you know, through her words and actions, kindness, compassion, her heart for her community, her family, her wider family. Um, during lockdown particularly, she's seen some change happen. She's been praying for her neighbours for healing and, uh, and for God to be at work. They got healed and something like 10 families in her village have now come to faith in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Just a quiet faith, but lived out in a very faithful way. That's so, so good. Um, can we just go back to what you were saying about India for a moment? Because this is, um, I'm about to say this, tell me if this is true or not, but I'd heard that 2000 church leaders have died of COVID in India uh, in, in the last year. Is that, is that number right? Yeah, I wouldn't, I'm not, not 100% sure on the numbers, but definitely from our contacts on the ground, local partners, many of them have been suffering quite extreme, extremely from the virus. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's, if, you know, this is a population of what, over a billion people. Uh, we know that COVID has hit them hard, particularly this year, haven't, haven't we? So I wouldn't be surprised if it's up there. And, and yeah, from our sort of conversations with teams on the ground, they, yeah, they, they have been suffering a lot. Yeah, I think leadership of the church is is not the most important in the sense that it's the body of Christ, the church will continue without a church leader, but the leadership brings direction to the church. Um, and so when you hear that there's 2,000 churches out there that are missing their leadership, yes, there'll be more that will, people that will step in, I'm sure. You just think actually that the impact that has on the local church in grief, in terms of their mission. Uh, so, you know, that just really brings to home for me just the difficulties of global church um, with, you know, with the pandemic on top of other things. Yeah. Uh, what, what's happening in India with uh, the persecution of Christians uh, is is horrific in itself. And then you hear about that on top. You just think, actually, our brothers and sisters in India are really going through it uh, yeah. in the church. Uh, I think, you know, right, yeah, I mean, just just thinking of that, you know, um, I was thinking of, th thinking of that passage in 2 Corinthians 4 where it talks about struck down but not destroyed, you know. And uh, yeah. in India, you know, they've been struck down not once but twice. You know, there's the pandemic and increased persecution yet in the midst of that they're still not destroyed they're still bouncing back they're keeping going and you're saying about those leaders who have died tragically through through the virus through the pandemic you know i suppose it's just praying that in 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 that fragility in the you know you see these churches as jars of clay the presence of jesus is there and we, we just pray that in the weakness the fragility of this moment that that the spirit of god will break out and be at work I remember hearing of a, a lady called um, Sumi, her husband, he, he died because of persecution, not, not because of the pandemic. But she, she basically said, you know, I'm going to step in. I'm going to take his place. I will continue the work. And, and that's what maybe what we pray, that maybe they will feel very inadequate, very weak. But we know that God works in our weakness. So we talked about the church in China a little bit. We talked a little bit about India. Um, let's just go to Iraq because uh, you know we we know that six, seven, eight years ago that was it was uh, incredibly difficult for the church in Iraq. Uh, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of believers were either 
uh, killed or had to run uh, for their lives. Um, what what's happening now with the church in Iraq? How are they doing? What what's happening for them? Are they returning, or um, is it a different picture? Yeah, I think it's uh, yeah. You're right. Go back a few years, and it was desperate, wasn't it? ISIS very much in control. The Nineveh planes were were wiped really um, of, of Christian communities. Christians had to flee. And I remember going to um, in 2015. Uh, I went to Iraq and actually saw for myself, you know, communities living in makeshift sort of huts or you know barely finished concrete buildings that were meant to be shopping malls or hotels, but had been taken over just such was the need and desperation. And it was November and it was dank and it was, you know, just, you just thought, wow, this is just desperate that these people are here living in, in, in this kind of way. Um, the incredible thing is yet yeah, over, over the course of time, fast forward now to 2021, many of those communities have returned. Villages are being rebuilt and also, you know, great to see churches, you know, that were, that were pretty much left in an absolute state by ISIS. You know, crosses, crucifixes have been taken down, all the sort of beautiful sort of, um, you know, statues, icons that were there had been pretty much devastated and wrecked. Um, but now, yeah, a lot of those communities have been rebuilt, which is absolutely fantastic. But that said, I think Christians still very much feel um, a minority. Um, there was a real hemorrhaging of the church in the Middle East, particularly in Iraq and Syria. And, uh, and so I think, I think what we've seen through, through Open Doors, local partners and, and work of other organisations on the ground is there's, there's this real need to sort of continue strengthening the church. And I think for many of the, the believers who, who went through, um, you know, the, the kind of purging by ISIS, they, they, if, they, you know, if they were here talking, they would probably reflect that there's been a real deepening of their faith that they've, through the crucible of, of persecution, uh, they've really encountered um, Jesus in a very powerful way, the proximity, intimacy of Jesus. So it's, it's almost been this, even though the church has been really skimmed down in numbers, there's been this added depth to it. And I think what we're seeing is just this hunger for, for the local church in Iraq to be to be a shining light in their communities. So one of our sort of big things is, is really supporting the church to be a centre of hope in their community, particularly in northern Iraq. And, and by that, it's, you know, it's so much more than a building, isn't it? Yes, it's great to have the buildings rebuilt from the rubble and the ashes, but just really making the presence of Jesus felt uh, through, through the, the lives of Christians being the hands and feet of Jesus in their community is massive. So I think it's great to see sort of like trauma care work that goes on in those churches, um, really empowering women. There's some great projects just discipling women, um, really helping them to discover their potential. A lot of sort of practical stuff too, Chris, like, you know, livelihood, community development. So many of these Christians have lost their jobs. Um, so just really fueling that as well. And just, yeah, I suppose, just a restoration of people's dignity and hope um, and making that hope visible through, through the person of Jesus is absolutely massive. Am I right in thinking that, that, that what we've experienced in Iraq is the church now is one-fifth the size of what it was 10 years yeah, ago? Yeah, it was whittled down to something like, yeah, 200,000. Yeah, yeah, absolutely staggering figures of, of yeah. just that sort of, yeah, reduction, mass reduction. So there's a massive prayer there, isn't there, for, for the believers that are there. Um, see, I love this phrase, this centre, centres of hope. Mm -hmm. shouldn't that be what every church community is in every neighborhood a center of hope yeah. 
Yeah, you make hope on display all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. And um, if if the church in those regions can model the body of you know, the, the life of Christ as a center of hope, that that's the church. I love it. Uh, it's really powerful. Yeah, you love this, Chris, because um, they they have a festival of the cross in in uh, as part of their tradition. I think it's sort of autumn time where neon crosses are put on houses and and homes. And I think you know when I went in even 2015 in these makeshift homes and their cars, vehicles, whatever. You know the cross was always on display. Uh, and you know earlier on we we're talking about me about just the the kind of being unashamed, completely all in. Um, about your your faith in Jesus and you know it's just fantastic to see just it's just the public passion I suppose putting putting the cross putting Jesus on display brilliant it's wicked isn't it that is absolutely incredible um can we talk about North Korea for a minute yes what's yeah the deal? what's the deal with North Korea what's the deal with North Korea well it's it, at Open Doors, we produce something called the Open Doors World Watch List, which is almost like this league table of, of, of um, well, doom in a way, if you look at it um, from, from a sort of secular, sort of worldly point of view, just the tragedy of, of what is going on. And so um, North Korea is ranked number one um, where, where Christians are most persecuted. Um, but I, I like to think of the World Watch List as a list of hope, personally, because it shows that there are Christians willing to defy dictators, willing to go against the flow. You know, oftentimes, perhaps we think we're swimming against the, the tide. Let's be honest, if you're a Christian in North Korea, you're swimming against the torrent. Like, you know, you are defying your your dictatorship. You are willing to put your life on the line um, day in, day out. So, yeah, number one on the World Watch list, we, we still know that... Um, Something like 70,000 Christians are locked up in prison camps for their faith. And these prison camps, you know, think Nazi-style concentration camps. Um, they're known as mass living graves. So that's pretty sobering that we've got brothers and sisters today who will pay a high price for, for their faith in Jesus. Yeah, within the mix of all that, we know that God is at work. We keep saying it, don't we? This sort of paradox that exists with yeah. the persecuted church, the, the grimness, the, the doom. But yeah, actually, we know Jesus is active. So there are Christians willing to, to give their lives um, in, in terms of just sharing the gospel. Um, there's one, one Christian in North Korea, you know, he came out with this line, actually, I think just before, before he died, he said, follow Jesus, he's worth everything. And, you know, he's just one example of maybe 400,000 secret Christians in North Korea. He, he kind of under the cover of darkness, um, dare to dare to meet together to worship Jesus. And also they have this passion to, you know, to actually see their country change, to see the kingdom of God break in rather than the kingdom of Kim Jong-un and the Kim dynasty. So, yeah, I think it's definitely been challenging in, in North Korea. I think obviously not, not much gets out, but um, I, just, just in terms of some of the contacts that we have, um, you know, escapees who have those, those, those contacts there, they would say that coronavirus has been really bad in, in North Korea, but obviously nothing sort of publicly, officially is, is really mentioned about that. Um, one thing that is pretty bad at the moment is is sort of famine and, and news of people really starving, which um, is is pretty shocking. Way back in the 90s, there was a terrible famine where something like three million plus people died. And there's this feeling that actually something like that could be on the brink in North Korea. 
Yeah, I, I love what you just said about the watch list. I, I certainly don't see it as a list of doom and gloom. I see it as a list of possible um, uh, miracles. Yes. Yeah. And uh, at that, right at the very top is North Korea. Uh, and it's it's the it's uh, you know there are many places to pray for, but for me that number one hit. Like, let's see a let's see a sign of the kingdom of God break out of North Korea because if it could happen in North Korea, it can happen in any of those countries on that list. Absolutely, and I think that's what's so thrilling about having that, uh, not uh, as a oh you know here's a stark reality of 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 what it means to be a believer in these places but uh here's a list of brothers and sisters uh, that we want to see a miracle happen for and uh and yeah for me it's uh it's a hopeful list of mm-hmm. god breaking in and it's subversive um you know the kingdom of god is a, is an illegal mustard seed jesus said yes. and uh what we're seeing in these places are it's the kingdom of God breaking through in an environment where it is illegal or uh, not okay to exist. And yet the kingdom of God is going to do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so therefore my prayer for those places is to cheer on what God is doing in his kingdom. Come on, mm-hmm. Lord, more. <laughs> Come on, Lord, don't, we, don't withhold yourself from them. Uh, so it is, it is an exciting list to to be praying into and um yeah i think chris it's a reminder isn't it that it's a failing race to destroy god's church you know matthew 16 jesus said you know the gates of hell will not prevail against it i'll build my church and yeah yeah, north korea actually tops the list of the the failing race to destroy god's church Mm. uh, because we know he's going to build it no matter what yeah can i just the last few minutes that we've got we've got about five minutes left can i ask you um are there any stories that are, that you're hearing that are just raising your faith levels uh, from the global church? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, Chris, there's so many stories from the persecuted church. You know, we 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 you know get peppered with them really at open doors, which is absolutely fantastic. And I think, in lots of ways, you know, hearing um, Christians' response when tragedy strikes. So, just a real quick example, maybe you know, when when suicide bomber attacked a church on Palm Sunday in Indonesia. What was incredibly beautiful was just hearing the response of, of Christians, particularly sort of the Open Doors perspective, the Open Doors local partners, literally going there within hours to go and be with, with the believers who are suffering, to suffer with them. I mean, that is what we're meant to do, isn't it? That's what compassion is. Compassion is, you know, feeling you know, feeling it and actually acting upon it and, 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 and yeah, doing it. So actually just sort of seeing the response of the church coming together. And, and, you know, we started our conversation by talking about that we're family, we're part of the body. When one part suffers, we all suffer. So those kind of incidents where you get the solidarity, where you see us standing together, I think is, is a beautiful picture of how we're meant to be as church, as brothers and sisters. Mm. I think too, uh, time and time again, I'm just inspired by, by stories that maybe happened um, in the past. Um, I was just thinking, reflecting uh, on great stories of um, one of my heroes in the persecuted church is a lady called Helen Bahani. She spent two and a half years in prison in a metal box, a metal shipping container in Eritrea. Eritrea is in the World Watch's top 10, known as the North Korea of Africa. So it kind of gives you a hint as to the vibe of, of what is going on for Christians there. But she she was a pop-up preacher, worship leader, and she's, she came out with this belt of a line, which I think you'll like. She said this, Jesus Christ is the medicine of the world and he must be shared. 
just amazing and so she before she was incarcerated she would just take opportunities to name drop Jesus into conversations just just really bold and then um she was later on obviously imprisoned in in the metal shipping container in in the Eritrean desert and still in that place she would just she would sing she would offer up her praise and her worship to God in, in the darkness of the shipping container in the stifling heat so just a real example of just just living for Jesus, no matter what. And and to be honest, we hear those stories pretty much week week on week. Um, so you know, in terms of just connecting with those stories that give you feed you gold, feed you truth. Um, for me, it's just just really enlivening. And and just I know I know I need it. it's almost like the little shot in the arm uh, every few days, just a, a reminder that you know the. Ri- the risen power of Jesus is at work. We see that. And uh, like you were saying, you know, there's miracles happening all around us um, if we choose to sort of see it and, and have our eyes open and aware, really. Great. Hey, if um, somebody's listening, and uh, if somebody's listening, we know people are listening, um, <laughs> but want to know more about Open Doors and the World Watch List and how to get praying, where can they go? Yeah, well, simply um, check out our website is a really good go to, which is opendoorsuk.org or um, follow us on on socials at Open Doors UK. Uh, we're always sort of, you know, sharing um, updates of what's happening. Might be, you know, urgent prayer requests get posted on our socials very quickly. It's just a great way to stay connected, stay up to date, be informed, but also encounter the God of the persecuted church, because let's be honest, um, sometimes we we can find him, don't we? And I think actually when we encounter the persecuted, they just kind of show us perhaps glimpses of God that we might not have seen before and then widen our vision, really. That's so good. Uh, And it's worth saying, isn't it, that if you lead a small group, Open Doors, uh, you guys have got resources on your website to get people praying. Uh, If you lead prayers in your local church, head to Open Doors website to be inspired to pray for the global church when you lead your church into sessions. If you're preaching this summer and you need some good illustrations, head to the Open Doors website. There's nothing better than dropping in some Open Doors stories uh, in your sermons as you preach this summer. Uh, you know, uh, I would say the Open Doors website is a gift for anybody who wants to help others in their church engage. If you're a youth worker and you want to inspire young, your young people that Jesus is bigger than what they see in their local church, head to the Open Doors website. I, really, there's so much resource there for us, isn't there? And um, So definitely head, uh, head there this summer if you're involved. And that passage that was mentioned earlier, Philippians 1, 21, uh, for to me, uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Um, we really need to recognize that our brothers and sisters are dying for their faith and yet we are fast asleep very often in the west and uh, you know we do need to wake up to um, not just their persecution but what it means to live for Jesus in our everyday in our workplaces in our homes the persecuted church the global church can inspire us to live our lives so much more dynamically uh, wherever we are in the UK Um, so yeah thank you so much Emma for spending time with us that's really really good bless you